Mauro Prosperi is an Italian police officer and the father of three children, husband of one wife, and an elite athlete, phenomenal athlete. He loves to run ultra marathons. And in 1994, he signed up to run one of the most dangerous marathons in the world, the Marathon of the Sands. It takes place in Morocco in the Sahara Desert. There's no other environment like it on Earth. It's a six-day marathon. They cover 150 miles. And, you know, just to finish it is a huge accomplishment. Well, on day four, there was this massive sandstorm that came up. And Myro got disoriented in the sandstorm. And when he got up and began his run again, he ended up spending a whole day running off course. In fact, he ended up leaving Morocco and entered into Algiers and didn't even know it. He finally wound up at an abandoned Muslim shrine, and there he realized how much trouble he was in. How's he going to survive? He actually had to kill bats that he found in the shrine and ate them and was forced to drink his own urine. After several days of waiting and hoping that help would come, he became so desperate that he decided there was nothing left for him to do but to take his own life. So he pulled out a penknife from his supplies and he cut his wrists and he laid down and expected that he would die. Except the next morning, he woke up. And the reason he woke up is because it was so hot and the air was so dry that his blood actually coagulated. He took that as a sign that God must have some purpose for his life. And he got up and continued wandering in the desert. He actually spent nine days wandering in that desert, eating reptiles and eating insects and hoping that somehow that that would keep him alive. Things didn't look good until he stumbled on a village. And when he got to that village, there were some Bedouins there that helped him. He was quickly flown out and brought to a hospital where it was discovered that he had lost 39 pounds. His liver was about to completely shut down. He had covered 180 miles. I mean, it's amazing that the man survived. He was very fortunate. I wish I could tell you that Dave Bichot was also just as fortunate, but he wasn't. See, Dave died in a desert here in the United States, in Utah. The tragedy, though, in Dave's situation is Dave Bichot didn't have to die. Water was readily available to him, but somebody kept the water from him, and that's why he died. You know, the desert is one of those places that if you don't know where the water is, you are not going to survive. I have met Bedouins in Israel in my journeys there, and I look at this moonscape they're in, and I think to myself, how do you guys survive? They have learned over time in history where the water is. They know how to get it. If you don't know where the water is, you'll die in the wilderness. You'll die in the desert. So God took his people out of Egypt in the Old Testament, and he brought them into the wilderness. But the amazing thing is that God provided for them in the wilderness. He provided food like in manna. He provided meat like the quail that he blew in from the coast. And most importantly, God provided water for them. You know, water is essential in our lives. Do you know that most of your blood is made up of water? That water is actually a transport system. What it does is that delivers vital nutrients to your organs, to your tissues, and it takes away waste. 
It also delivers oxygen to your cells and it helps keep your joints lubricated. It is estimated that you can live without food four to five weeks. You cannot live without water more than three to five days. And in fact, you need two quarts of water every day. Drinking water helps protect you and it keeps you healthy. It is vital and it is important in our lives. Jesus took care of his people in the wilderness. He provided water from the rock. Can you imagine the hundreds of thousands of Israelites and the water comes pouring out of that rock like a river? Well, as time went by, God asked them to remember what he did for them in the wilderness. And they began to celebrate what was known as the Feast of the Tabernacles. Literally, for one week in the fall, they would move out of their homes in Jerusalem and they would live in these little lean-tos. Can you imagine that? A father, a mother, their kids in this little lean-to. They could actually see up through it and look up in the sky. And the father recounts how God took care of their ancestors in the wilderness. Not only that, but they also took time to give thanks to God for the bountiful harvest he provided for them that fall. Well, during that week of the festival of the booths or the tabernacle, what would happen is uh, there was a ceremony that would take place. A priest would start at the temple in Jerusalem and he would make his way south. Joining him would be a bunch of other priests and uh, then there'd be a choir as well. And you can imagine all the people who are observing uh, this occasion as they're making their way down from the temple and the altar in the temple all the way down to what is known as the Pool of Siloam. Now, he would have a pitcher available to him. And what he's going to do when he gets down there is he's going to gather water from this pool. Now, keep in mind that they're celebrating what God did for them in the wilderness. So as we approach this water, imagine that this is the pool of Siloam. I've got my pitcher here. The priest dips the pitcher in and he fills it full of water from the pool of Siloam. He then takes that water and they begin a procession back up to the temple. While they're doing that, the choir is singing from Psalm 100, uh, excuse me, from Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, those beautiful words, with joy, we will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Not only are they singing that, but they're also singing the Psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And those Psalms talk about the greatness and the goodness of God. They're making their way up. The procession is loud. People are excited. They're remembering what God did in the past, what God's even doing now in their harvest, how God is their source. They form a circle around the altar and the priest actually climbs up on the altar. Imagine these stones are that altar. And he takes that water and he pours it out over the altar. You see the water coming off? You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of the Old Testament when God brought water out of the rock. And people are just praising God. It had to have been an awesome and incredible sight as they experienced that together. That happens every day of the feast. But on the last day, Jesus showed up in John chapter 7. And as he showed up, he made a very public demonstration in front of everyone. And he calls out and he says, come unto me, 
those of you who are thirsty, anyone who believes in me, he says, will drink, as the scriptures say, and rivers of living water will flow from their heart. And people were so amazed to see Jesus and hear him say that, but what did he mean by that? There was so much controversy over who he was and what he was talking about. In essence, what he's saying is, look, just as my father provided you water there in the wilderness, he is now providing you eternal water. He's providing you spiritual life, salvation for your soul. But in order to have this, you have to be thirsty. See, that's a prerequisite. You can't drink the water if you're not really thirsty for it. Jesus says only the thirsty can come and only the thirsty can be filled. Well, what does it mean to be thirsty? Well, let's think about what it doesn't mean to be thirsty. What Jesus is not saying is, hey, if any of you would like a taste of what I have to offer, come on over. That's just curiosity. It's not the curious that he's inviting. I remember years ago, I took my family when my kids were younger to a, the Coke Museum. And they had a room in there where they handed us these uh, little white uh, clear plastic cups. And they had uh, a fountain that would shoot out different flavors of Coke product. I tell you what, I got sick there that day because I sampled over 30 products, some that aren't made in the U.S., some that are in South America. I just kept drinking and tasting it. And by the end of the day, I didn't want to taste Coke again for a long time. Jesus is not inviting people to come and taste. You know, sometimes you'll meet somebody who says, yeah, I'll have a drink with you. You know, whatever you're drinking, I'll have a drink with you, okay? It could be milk, it could be water, it could be tea, it could be coffee, it could be whatever beverage. I'll have a drink with you. Jesus is not inviting people who just want to have a drink with you. It's not something to just experiment with. It's not temporary. What Jesus means when he says, any of you who are thirsty, what he means is this. I invite those who are so thirsty that they know if they don't get a drink, they're going to die. They're so desperate. They're so parched in their soul. They tried everything and nothing else works. They're at that place. They're totally ready. They're filled with what God has. He says, you are welcome to come. You know, that reminds me of a story over in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, where Jesus, in the middle of the day, meets this woman at a well. Now, she's a Samaritan. Obviously, he's a Jew. And uh, he's thirsty. And he says to her, can you give me a drink? And she's shocked. Uh, she's shocked, first of all, because uh, Jesus is a Jew talking to a Samaritan, and he's a man, and men just didn't talk to strange women like that. And in the course of their conversation, Jesus kind of turns things around a little bit. And he says, you know, I've got something for you. I've got water for you. And the water that I'm going to offer you, if you drink it, you will never thirst again. It'll actually be a living spring of water welling up in your life. And she says to him, where can I get that water? And Jesus says, right here, me. I have what you need. I want to offer you what can fill and what can change your life. See, only Jesus ultimately can satisfy our lives. Only he can ultimately give us what we really need. He's the water in the desert that we desperately need. So let's talk about Dave Bouchot. I mentioned to him that he was in a desert in Utah and uh, he had been without water for about 10 hours in 100 degree 
temperatures. And uh, he started feeling faint. Witnesses said that uh, he was staggering. He was cramping up. He's actually beginning to hallucinate. He was seeing trees and thinking that trees were people. And about 100 yards from a source of water in a cave, they could have had something to drink. He fell down on his face and he died. And what makes that story so tragic is that Dave Bichot was not alone. He actually was there with 10 others who had signed up for this wilderness uh, survival experience to see, you know, if you have what it takes to survive the wilderness. And along with the 10 were experts on survival. And those experts on survival had an emergency load of water with them that they never told Dave Bichot about. You see, they wanted him to get his $3,000 worth of what he had signed up for. They wanted him to reach down from the depths of his being and, and be able to make it to that pool of water. And because they withheld that water from him, he died. Later on, the sheriff in the area had to hike in six hours to get the body. He shook his head and he said, you know, I don't understand it. He said, if I had been there and had the water, I would have given it to him. Dave Bichot's brother in New Jersey said of his 29-year-old, now deceased brother, he said, you know, my brother would be alive with me right now if somebody had just given him the water that he needed. Jesus loves you. And he wants you to have the water that you and I so desperately need. He wants to fill your life. He won't withhold it from you. But you've got to be willing to come. You've got to be willing to receive what he has for you. Which raises a question, right? And the question is, how do you do that? Well, let's go back to our source of water here, this river. I've got a cup right here. And uh, I want you to imagine that this cup is your life. As you can see, it's empty. You know, a lot of us have a sense of emptiness. We have a sense of a vacuum in our life. And we go around trying to find ways to, to fill it somehow. You know, I, I can think of the different ways that people use to try to fill their lives. You know, some people try to fill their lives with success. Maybe, you know, maybe if I climb the corporate ladder, I become successful, then I'll be full. And some people become very successful and, and still feel very empty. I mean, some even take their lives. Later on, you know, we find out that despite all the money they had, it didn't do any good. You know, for some people, it's religion. It's tradition, it's rules, it's rituals that they keep, and, and yet they're never satisfied. They're continually searching. You know, for some people, it's all, you know, it's all about sex, right? It's just my pleasures. For some people, it's about medicating my emptiness with drugs or alcohol or whatever it might be. You know, for some people, it's about, it's about their body. It's about their physique. It's about their looks. But, you know, that even fades over time. What ends up happening is we fill our life with all this stuff. And we're still, we still feel emptiness. We're still not satisfied. Jesus says in order for you to have the true living water that will fulfill your life, the first thing you have to do is you have to repent. And what repent simply means is I got to empty the cup. I got to empty it of all that stuff. Now notice my cup is empty, right? Now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to fill it with the right source. And that requires faith. That requires believing that God loves me. That requires believing that Jesus died for my sins. He's taken away 
my sinfulness. And he wants to replace it with his life, eternal life, eternal hope. So what I have to do is I have to be willing to accept what Jesus has done for me. I repent of my ways. I accept what he's done for me. And when I open my life up by faith and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. I, I want you to take over my life. I'm surrendering my life to you. What he does, in essence, and again, think about the pools of Siloam. In essence, what he does is he takes his great life, right? And he pours his life into my life. And he pours it to overflowing. And he says he'll keep doing that as long as I live. If I'll keep my eyes on him. If I'll trust him. Can I ask you a question right now? Does this feel like your life? Do you have a sense that Christ is pouring and is keep pouring in his life into yours? You know, if you feel like your cup is empty right now, would you consider accepting Christ into your life? Would you consider repenting and accepting what he's done for you and receiving that free, beautiful gift? because he loves you so much. Would you bow your heads with me right where you are? And if you're at that place and you say, Pastor, I just feel like that cup full of rocks. I've tried to fill my life with everything and nothing's working. I'm ready to pour it out. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And would you pray this simple prayer if you mean it from your heart. It's not the words that matter so much as much as your heart. Just simply say, Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I repent of my sins. I'm turning away from the things I've tried to fill my life with. I ask you, Lord, to please come in and fill my life with your presence. I want to follow you. Jesus, please change me. Jesus, I want to be on mission with you the rest of my life. Please come in. Please take over.